Good morning, everybody. Hey, how's it going today? Good to see you guys. Hey, it is our sixth year birthday today. Come on, let's celebrate. So exciting. So for all you people watching online that thought they'd only make it three, take that. No, I'm just kidding. I remember uh, six years ago, it was March 13th. We actually had a night service. March 13th in our living room in South Eugene. It was a house that we lived in there. The tree fell on, so that's a little... little <laughs> it's there still, but whoever is there now should watch out because the trees fall on it. But anyways, 29 people, including kids, uh, we gathered in the living room there. Who was anybody that was there that night? Raise your hand. Ed and Lyric were there. A couple people, awesome. A couple people, awesome. Bethany was there. I'm really happy you were there. But you were in the garage, I think, right? She was, watching kids. So we had kids ministry was in the garage and we people, I always would explain, I'd be like, you know, we got kids in the garage and I'd be like, just so you know, that's not like a nice, it's not like a fancy way of saying like a kid's wing of a building. It's actually in our garage, <laughs> 29 of us. And then we grew explosively from week one to week two. We went from 29 to 22. It was a seven person reduction because they heard the preaching that first week and they're like, I'm out. Uh, and here we are six years later. And, uh, Man, I'm just so grateful to every single one of you and, and, and especially grateful to God because so many people have found Jesus at Joy Church. So many people have eaten way too many donuts at Joy Church. Um, but ultimately we're here just the same exact reason we, we started uh, six years ago to bring light to the city of Eugene and Springfield, to bring light to this place. And I was reminding our dream team today that the, uh, the, the first verse, the message that we spoke on, on that night was um, from the book of Jonah where God was saying, Jonah, you're so mad about your own comfort in life, but shouldn't I care about the city of Nineveh with 120,000 souls that don't, don't know me and a bunch of animals too? And I, I had read a stat about, our, about Lane County that there are 220,000 people that are religiously unaffiliated. The Lord spoke to me and said, they don't even have a false hope, um, much less the real hope of Jesus Christ. They don't even have a false hope. It's like you've explored options and you've decided nothing is really true, nothing is really good. And so, so many people need joy. So many people need Jesus. And uh, the little slogan we wrote in the beginning was, every city needs more joy. And I believe that about our city more now than even then. And so that's why we're here. Exciting to be here. There's so, so many wonderful things we could say and do. And we're going to sum it all up by just eating cupcakes together after service today. Uh, uh, that's, that's the way we do things here. And we have a jump house for the kids. But man, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm, I got a little bit emotional first service, so I'm just keeping it together. Uh, what a journey it's been for six years. And this is really just the start of what God wants to do in us and through us. So praise you, Jesus. We're so grateful for six years. Come on, let's give a cheer and a shout. Thank you, Lord. As we uh, celebrate our birthday today, we're continuing in our series, You've Heard It Said. We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' incredible message found in Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7. And I want to encourage you guys to continue to read that. I know I've elongated the series, uh, so you're probably like sick of reading it every week, but please keep doing it um, because God is still speaking to us. God is still working in us and, and moving in us. And now we're moving into chapter 6. We've kind of been focused in chapter 5. But as we move into chapter six, Jesus gives three do's and three don'ts, a very clearly three explicit do this and three do not do this uh, with the, under the kind of the umbrella of the real practice of our faith, the real practice of our religion. How many of you know in life, the real thing matters over and against an imposter or a fake, right? 
And the way you know this is true is, hey, guys, when you propose to the love of your life, when you get down on one knee, which is what you're supposed to do, guys, don't let the girl get down on one knee. Come on, you beat her to it. If she goes, she starts to go down on one knee, like you get your knees on the ground. <laughs> Two knees if necessary. I mean, you just get those knees down, men. Okay, that was, just for, that was for fun. Anyways, uh, when you get down on one knee and you go, here's the cubic zirconium, come on, that's not the same thing as that diamond, right? Diamonds are forever. Cubic zirconium is seven years in a divorce. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But my son will have a real diamond to put on that lady's finger. Come on. So the real thing, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 gives us, if you're offended by that, come on. Come on. Okay. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 gives us a picture of the real thing uh, of living out our faith versus a fake. And I, I, I thought about this. The best way to illustrate this is to show some images. We're going to show you kind of uh, something that isn't quite the real thing. So these are from some of our friends I think in the Far East, that they decided to take some well-known brands and trademarks and um, they had their own special thing. So go ahead and uh, show that first picture. This is Special Man. <laughs> it's close, but not exactly it. Can you imagine your kid at Christmas wanted Superman and this is what you get? Okay, the next one, the real thing, Game Child. Okay, <laughs> next. Uh, Mikey. <laughs> I bought you some shoes. Oh, Nikes? No, Mikey's. I'll, if your name is Mike, I suppose that's preferable, right? Because then, what's your name? Oh, Mike, you know. <laughs> All right, next. Burger, madam, and sir. I like it because it's more gender inclusive, right? And less monarchical, all in the same time. If you've ever been to Cambodia or any place in Asia, sometimes they'll take like things that are English and then what comes out is beautiful. And this is one of them. Okay, next one. Dolce and banana. <laughs> this is what, uh, this is, <laughs> this is what I get Bethany. If she's like, I'd like a new purse. And I'm like, sweet babe, I got you this Dolce and banana. <laughs> it's a little different than Dolce and Gabbana. All right. Oh, I love that so much. Pizza, huh? This is, this is what, if you eat too much Pizza Hut, what happens to you? What'd you have for lunch? Pizza, huh? Yeah. Okay, last but not least, Michael Soft Binbos. <laughs> what do they sell there? You know what I mean? <laughs> Michael Soft. Are you, <laughs> you're, you're receiving Jesus today. This lady is like, she's like, the Holy Spirit's all over you, man. I'm like, <laughs> you guys, I, how many of you ever heard that line? Laughter's the best medicine, right? This week, there's like, these are on the internet. There's like 50 or 60 of them. I was literally laughing out loud. You know, people are like, LOL. I was literally lolling. I was ah, like guffawing sitting in my chair, just cracking myself up. How, I'll, I'll, I'll show you some more of these next week. Are you excited? Okay. Because this is part one. Today we're talking about the real thing. Jesus gives us the real thing. There's a big difference between Superman and special man. Uh, if you call customer support and they say, hello, this is Mike, Michael Soft Binbos, you're in trouble. Um, 
We want the real thing. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter six. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. Now in Matthew chapter five, Jesus has has just explained the inner characteristics of righteousness. We went through the Beatitudes. Blessed are you if you're poor in spirit. He's kind of giving these contrasting images to what it means to be blessed, meaning to be favored by God. What, it, what does it mean to have God on your side? And then he goes in in Matthew 5 and he talks about the, it, you've heard it said, you've heard it said not to, you know, to do this, but I say this to you. And he's given us this picture of what it means to be righteous. And then Matthew chapter 6, he kind of moves into the practice of religion and Jesus gives a warning. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. There's a temptation to turn even the good things of God and even the real things of God into a performance for other people or for yourself. And sometimes even a performance for God. And Jesus says, look, if you do that, then the entire reward is on the surface. Whatever you got from the praise of men or the pride of congratulating yourself for a job well done or whatever, that's what you have received. But what you could have received is the real thing, a reward from your Father in heaven. Do you know it's possible to go through all of the motions of a disciple of Jesus and live a faithful life as a Christian and and yet completely and utterly miss it? And I know we know this because as a Christian, we know the difference between a heart that is transformed by Christ doing the right stuff for the right reasons versus when we're just going through the motions. And so Jesus gives us in this passage three things that he says, these are the things to do. He starts with probably the most important you know, indicator of our heart condition, which is money. The idea of giving and generosity. He says in Matthew 6, verse 2, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I think it's interesting because in all three of these things that Jesus says to do, he doesn't say if you do them, he says when. That Jesus assumes that his followers, his people, those that are citizens of this new kingdom, it's not if they give, it's when they give. Because there's something about when you've received grace from God and he's transformed you from the inside out, you can't be stingy, you have to be generous. And I think we know this sort of intuitively that a follower of Jesus should have a generous heart. And so Jesus says, when you give, because his followers are givers. But he doesn't just want a behavior of giving because what he says is you can turn this good-hearted posture of generosity into a performance mechanism where the reward goes from God and the reward all of a sudden just becomes the praise of people. So it's not just about the behavior of being a giver, it's about the motivation of being a giver. If I'm not giving from a cheerful, or as the scripture says, a hilarious heart, like laughing in the face of stinginess, if I'm not giving for the right reasons from the right place, then I switch the place where my reward comes from. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus teaches later in Matthew chapter six and verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Oftentimes this is misquoted. People will say, where your heart is, there your treasure is. So the things you care about is what you put your money into. But that's actually not how it works. What we invest into, where we place our treasure, our heart is connected by an invisible string and it follows into those things. 
It's interesting to me because as a culture, we've invested our treasure into sports and, you know, athletics and stadiums. And if you think about what's happening, we spend hundreds of millions of dollars and in some cases billions of dollars to create cathedrals to watch a bunch of different guys or ladies in different clothes, right? Their clothes versus our clothes or that type of thing. It's really what sports is, a comedian said, which cracks me up and ruins it for me. But anyways, um, uh, we, 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 we cheer on these athletes in the, in the games and we, we have so much treasure invested. And so where is the attention and affection and value of our culture? It's in those things. Where we place our treasure, Jesus says, that's where your heart goes. So as we talk about giving, he says, when you give, he assumes you're going to do it. When you give, you can basically do it for show or you can do it from the right place and let God reward you. Jesus gives us this tremendous responsibility when it comes to being generous and giving that we, by the motivation of our heart, by the inner working of our heart, we determine where the reward comes from, either coming from God or coming from other people. Now, the other people, sometimes you might think, well, you know, uh, Jesus is saying, give in secret. Does that mean I'm supposed to like sneak into the church in the middle of the night and like slip my check under the door and cover my face from the security cameras? And no, no, it's not that you can't ever be seen giving or anything like that. Sometimes people are going to know what you give. Sometimes, you know, you're going to tell people what you give. But he's talking about a heart posture of where do you get this reward from? Because if you're giving for the praise or the recognition or regard of man, then that's where your reward comes from. That can even come from yourself. Because sometimes we give, we're generous, and then we pat ourselves on the back. And guess what? Now you receive the reward for that. Rather than saying, Lord, everything I have comes from you. It came from you originally. Everything I have right now is from you. And it, and, and it comes through you. And I have open hands. And so I give and I'm generous, believing and trusting in you to provide for me and all of my needs. And I believe in the reward that comes from you. It's a totally different posture. But Jesus says the person who gets to pull, push the switch or decide where the reward comes from is you or I. It reminds me of going to a gift exchange. I remember when I was in uh, youth back in Medford, I, I grew up in the church and I got to go into, into the youth group and I was so pumped. And every, uh, Kayla's parents were actually my youth pastors for a, a few years and they were awesome and crazy and wonderful. And her dad's a psychopath, so it was awesome. You know, he's a great youth pastor. It's like Pastor Kyle and Kayla. We want a little bit of that craziness, you know, love to snowboard and eat nachos. Those are like the craziest things I can think of right now. <laughs> so I grew up in the youth group and every Christmas we do um, a gift exchange. And at these gift exchanges, you would have a budget or whatever, you'd bring the gift. And, uh, and have you ever been to one of these before? And there's always somebody who you really want to get their present, right? That they brought. Somebody, other kids are like, I brought some pocket lint and a banana. You're like, I don't want that, you know, Ricky. But like, some kids would bring a good present and the person whose gift I always wanted to get was the one I myself brought. <laughs> and I remember specifically at this particular event where I had gone to Evangel Christian Bookstore in the Rogue Valley Mall and I had procured for myself a tape cassette, which for those of you under 30 is a means of musical reproduction. Uh, <laughs> you have to be a serious music lover to use tape cassettes because you can't skip songs. Come on, somebody. You just got to listen to the whole thing. People are like, a single? What's a single? A single is the song you had to rewind the whole thing back to get to that you liked. Anyways, I bought a DC Talk cassette. Anybody down with the DC Talk? Come on. Down with the DC Talk. Dit, dit, down with the DC Talk. All right. You into this or not? I can, 
Toby Mac, and the Mac is back, no slack. On a DC track that's jacked, beyond comprehension, I believe that I failed to mention that. There's a lack of recognition when it comes to his position, so I'm not gonna be crossed over, gonna kick this beat supernova. Do, 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 do. Oh yeah. Some of you think I'm way cooler now, some of you think I'm way less cool. <laughs> I've just equally lame, right? I just equalized. <laughs> Anyways, I brought DC Talk to this gift exchange and I had this tape cassette and I remember it was the bootleg live, the blue tape cassette. Anybody remember this? I forget what it was called, but it was this amazing and it had a lot of songs, whatever. And I was, I really wanted it. It was like $9 for this tape cassette. And so I made it in this, in these gift exchanges, you kind of trade back and forth or you steal or whatever. And I was able to somehow you know, through my Machiavellian motions, I was able to leave with the gift that I brought. And I felt so pleased with myself. And that's why I'm down with the DC talk. So what is the point of that whole story other than to show you my incredible 90s rapping skills? The other uh, point of it is this, you choose the reward. Like how amazing is it that Jesus says you are going to give, like as a follower of Jesus, we assume that this is what we do. We have a generous heart. Like we, we say no to stinginess because stinginess takes us further away from Jesus. And when we're generous, we're more trusting and, and, and open and vulnerable. And like the, the good things that God wants to do in our life are more present when we're generous. Is that right? Yes, Pastor Jake, it is. Thank you. Like when we are living this generous life and when we are giving, Jesus says, you get to decide where the reward comes from because there is a reward. You get to decide that if you do it to be seen by people and it's, it's for you to get that recognition, then, hey, that was your reward. Or you can do it in a way that isn't to get the praise of men and isn't patting yourself on the back. And if you do it in that way with the right heart, you live out this generosity, then God himself will give you a reward. And that beats the pants off a of DC talk tape from the 90s. Like we get to decide. Jesus goes on. He talks about prayer in verse five. He says, when you pray, not if, but when. These are essential spiritual disciplines. He says, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, you can do it for show. You can do it for performance. You can pray so other people see you. I know that in our culture, we don't really think like public prayer is very cool. You know, it's not like people go out to the side of the street and they're like, let me show you what I can do. You know, and they start praying. It's not, it's not something that as a culture, we sort of externally value. But Jesus, I think in our context, we can say that oftentimes our practice of religion is for the, is for the benefit of other eyes. Our prayers, you know, I go, I go to pastor's conferences sometimes and like pastors oftentimes will try to outdo each other with praying. You know, it's like, this is your normal voice and then your prayer voice, father. All of a sudden you turn into Richard Burton when you pray. I don't understand. It's like Sean Connery, you know what I mean? Do you have father in heaven? Like they go into this and then it gets longer and longer and longer. Like the prayer circles the world. We've prayed for all the orphans and all the widows and everybody's parking spot and everyone's food is blessed, you know. And it's just going on and on and on and on. And yet Jesus... He teaches us to pray. It's this short little prayer, short little powerful prayer. So he says, hold on, when you pray, not if, but when, just remember you're choosing again, just like generosity. Are you praying for yourself? Are you praying for other people? Or are you praying to connect with God? 
And he says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. If we think that prayer is performance, you know, that the better I pray, the more God responds, that means we are manipulating God. As if I could move the hand of the omnipotent, omniscient, benevolent creator of heaven and earth who has all power, all, everything, at, at, I could move him because of the eloquence of my words or the, the longevity of my words. That if I pray with my hands, you know, in this position, that changes the reception that he gets in heaven. Do you see the, 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 the ridiculousness of this mindset? Jesus says, stop babbling. You think that if you pray longer and if you close your eyes really tight, that that makes God respond differently? It doesn't. He already knows what you need. Do you know why we often pray? We think long, length of prayer matters so much? Because we're often praying more for what we want. And that takes a lot more time. God isn't so much interested in always giving you what you want, though he will hear that prayer. But it, he knows what you need. Which is why Jesus gives us this beautiful prayer. He says, look, this is how to pray. Father who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm going to teach a message on this, so I won't go into detail about each what this means. But it's a simple prayer. Give me this day my daily bread and forgive me my sins as I forgive those who've sinned against me. Keep me from temptation and deliver me from evil. Just one, two, three, let's go, right? It's quick. Why? Because it's not about impressing God with the eloquence or the length or the, 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 the grandiosity of my prayer. You see, Jesus says there are two ditches on the side of this road of prayer that you could fall into. The first is to pray for, uh, for show, to pray for other people's benefit, to sort of pray to be seen as religious or to be impressive to other people. The other area that I think we probably more fall into is that we think that our performance of prayer impresses God, and it doesn't. He already loves you, already cares about you, already knows what you need. And Jesus says, it's how you should pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debt as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And listen to what Jesus says here. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's the scariest verse in the Bible. If you, if you, if you don't find that to be scary, read it again. Because Jesus actually makes a note in the context of prayer. He tells his followers, when you pray and you ask for God to forgive you, you need to add an addendum that says, contractually, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me as I forgive other people. And this is an interesting thing because Jesus is saying, I want you to pray to God and tell him that you're adding a condition to your forgiveness. Oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, you know, forgiveness is unconditional. It's not because Jesus added a condition to it. That's not me adding a condition to it. God's forgiveness is unconditional to your effort and earning, but it's not unconditional to this point right here. And this is why this matters. Because Jesus is saying you either participate in the economy of grace or you participate in the economy of law or justice. And here's what it means. When I say, okay, someone sinned against me and I'm going to hold score, I'm going to keep score and make sure that we get it even, now th that has to be reconciled. So my sins, my crimes against other people, the, the things I've done against God, the things I've done against other people and the things I've done against myself, 
they have to all be held accountable and reconciled if I'm going to hold somebody else. And so the, the, the mystery and majesty of the cross is Jesus said, I'm going to pay for all sin. And so by receiving my offer of forgiveness, where my blood pays for your sin, you can't then hold somebody else accountable for theirs. Now, what I'm not saying is we don't have social accountability to hold people to law and order. I'm not saying that. I'm not, I'm not talking in any other sphere or area of life other than our spiritual uh, uh, salvation, okay? So just to be clear on that, because people will hear me say this and go, well, someone did this horrible crime and you're saying we should just not even do anything about it? No, there, there is such a thing as law and order and justice in human stratified societies, but I'm talking about with God, you either participate in the economy of grace or you participate in the economy of keeping score. When you look at the Garden of Eden and you look at the original story of sin entering into this world, what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was, was the tree of keeping score. Was saying, now we get to keep score. You, you did this to me, so I do this to you. We look at the, the machinations of nations and wars and all these things and everybody's keeping score. The Christian faith is radical in that it says, Jesus leveled the playing field and even the score and all have to receive grace and come to him and then God will judge all things according to his purposes and plans, but I'm not going to. And so Jesus says, this is so important within this prayer. And I think it's, it's notable for us to, to look into it. But as we think about prayer, uh, it comes to mind this illustration from golf. And those of you that are good at golf, which I am absolutely not, have probably heard this. Drive for show, putt for dough. Anybody heard this? Drive for show, putt for dough. The idea is, man, it feels good. It's happened to me once or twice where you swing that driver and boom, you connect with the ball and it goes 280 yards, 300 yards. And, and you're like, woo, that tee shot is everything, right? It just feels so good. And then you hit your nine iron up to the green and it's a par three and you're like, all right. And then you putt it six times. <laughs> it doesn't matter how far you hit it if you don't get it in the hole in the allocated amount of shots. Come on, somebody. And the two inch putt that you miss because you got the yips matters just as much as the 300 yard drive. And when it comes to prayer, it's this whole drive for show, putt for dough. Is our prayer life drive for show? Is it performance for other people or performance for God? Or is it a humble, grace-soaked heart coming to their father and saying, here I am, Lord, and I love you. In our, in our intimate relationship, it's not, the, it's not the grandiosity of my words. It's the condition of my heart desiring you above all things, knowing that you know what I need. So I'm not here with any pretense to impress anybody else or impress you. I'm simply here to connect with you because you're my father in heaven. So Jesus says, when you pray, you get to decide. Do I pray for show, other people or God, or do I putt for dough? Do I pray with authenticity and reality in my prayer life? Number three, Jesus talks about fasting. Man, I wish fasting wasn't in the Bible. I wish Jesus didn't tell us that we, to do it, but he did. He says in verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. They want everybody to know how miserable they are for Jesus. I want to take a little bit of license here on this, but I think it's interesting. If there's not any joy in your serving Jesus, you're not doing it right. I will set this down. Do you need me to like preach this real quick? Let me, I don't have anywhere to set it. Okay. People are like, oh man, serving Jesus so hard, picking up the cross every day. Like there's no joy in it. Why would anybody else want to do it? 
Jesus says, look, fasting could be, you, you could put a placeholder in going on a missions trip, giving tithes and offerings, serving in the nursery. Oh, it's so hard to serve. Why do I have to do it again? Why, why do you, you don't have to come to church. You don't have to serve. You don't have to give. You get to because you got to be part of this family. My kids, man, oh boy. We're trying to help them understand how valuable their life is. My daughter came down yesterday. I had a hard day. It's a hard, I'm having a hard day. I was like, sweetheart, you got to go to the movies today with your cousins. You had popcorn and candy. Then you came to the church and you got to jump in a jump house. Then we came home and mom made you dinner while you played video games. You didn't have a hard day. <laughs> and I'm resisting everything in me to give the, when I was your age, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> now I get it, you guys. Some of you are like, Jake, when I was your age, now I get it. We walked buck naked uphill both ways to school in the snow, you know? And I'm like, and I started, I'm like, look, when I was your age, we were at church like the whole time. We didn't have video games to play. There was no jump house. Right? They like, and I'm trying to explain, what am I talking about here? Saying that in our relationship with Jesus, we're like, oh, it's so hard. No, it's, it's actually not. It's a joy to serve Jesus. But Jesus says, if you turn your faith, if you turn your fasting, if you turn your religious activity into performance, guess what the reward is? Other people can feel sympathy for you, but they don't. Just newsflash. If you come in and you're like, I'm fasting. Oh, it's so hard. I'm going to be like, cool, man. Good for you. I don't care. I'm going to go to the, eat a burger today. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nobody cares. But Jesus is pointing out that we, we trick ourselves, don't we? We turn our religious activity into performance. And in this area of fasting, he says they disfigure their faces. They want other people to, to show their fasting. And he says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. In other words, you're going to get nothing from God if other people are rewarding you for your religious activity, for your fasting. But he says, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. In other words, look presentable and be excited about what you're giving up so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The reward from God comes at the inner motivation of the heart, not the external behavior. Think about that. Well, I'm, I'm showing up at church every Sunday. Yeah, but you got a rotten heart. You don't want to be here. You hate everybody here and you don't serve. I'm not saying anything to you specifically. I'm just, I wasn't, that sounded a little harsher than, it, than it, I meant it. Let me preach it to me, uh, you know, because that's me too. Oh, I'm at church every week, just loving people, loving Jesus. You don't love people. You don't even like the worship song that you sang. You were having a rotten attitude, mister. Come on. You can do the stuff on the outside and it can look just as nice as the person who's actually doing it is unto the Lord. But the reward doesn't come because of the external behavior. The reward comes because God got a hold of your heart and you're doing it for the right reason. Whatever we do. That's why I said fasting is what Jesus is talking about here. And, and, and that is specifically what he's saying. But we can apply it to a lot of things in our walk with the Lord. We just finished this whole series on fasting called Starving. And uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it if, if this is something that the Lord's speaking to you. But the definition that we gave was this, that fasting is the act of denying our natural desires and intentionally emptying ourselves so we can be filled with God's presence. Fasting is giving something up because you want God more. Fasting at a fundamental level is saying, I have so many blessings. I have food on the table. And if you're at our house, it's good food, always, always good. 
Like, there's always good food available. Uh, I have internet. I have running water. I have this place to live. Everything in my life is filled with blessings. And if I'm not careful, then I can start to get too in love with the blessings and miss out on the blessor, miss out on the one who gives the blessings. And so fasting says, let me just make sure and get my priorities of worship and affection in order. And Jesus didn't say, if you do this, he said, when? Because as Christians, is always a temptation to fall in love with the blessing over the person that gives the blessing. The psalmist said, whom do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. This is the cry of a follower of Jesus. Like, I just want God. I want God more than anything else. C.S. Lewis said, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. And so Jesus' warning rings true. He's saying, fasting, giving something up, you're, you're, your abstinence from whatever earthly pleasure or thing that it is, that, that can become just a, uh, an empty religious performance and the reward is just as empty. It's the fleeting regard of other people or even yourself patting yourself on the back. And what you're missing out on is the real benefit, which is connection with God from whom all blessings flow. And each of these things, when you think about the richness of what Jesus is saying, he's saying you can do the real thing or you can fake it and you're not going to get a real reward. You thought you were going to get the Superman action figure, but you got Special Man. You turned on your computer and it was Microsoft Binbos, you know, bin, Bindos. Microsoft. It's so wrong, I can't even say it right. But when you think about it, it's, it's really, it's challenging. Jesus is making it so clear. You can do the right stuff as a performance for other people or as an act of worship to God. And it might look exactly the same on the outside. You know, one of the things we don't do here at Joy Church, which I'm glad we don't do, is we don't do fruit picking, fruit checking. We don't come up to people, let me check your fruit, make sure your fruit. We, we, we want to see root renewal. Let me say that again. Pastor Jake, I had a bad week. I was doing bad stuff. Hey, man, let me pat you on the back. I love you. God's grace in your life. Man, your fruit is coming from a root. So if you don't like the fruit, you got to go to the root. We care here about transformation. God getting a hold of your heart from the inside out. That's what Jesus' kingdom is about. True transformation, not just behavior modification. Behavior modification says, well, I'm going to give to the poor up to the level that I feel comfortable. I'm going to be generous up to the level of whatever I feel good with. I'm going to pray, but it's really going to be mostly in public so other people see that I do. Or when I pray, it'll really be telling God what I want and performing to get what I want from God, which is not a relationship. And when I fast, I'll let everybody know how hard it is so that everyone can see how good I am. Or what we can say is I do it in secret with a big fat smile on my face because my reward is in heaven. And that's the real thing. This true transformation is what Jesus wants to do in our life. The prophet Ezekiel said thousands of years before Christ, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Second Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, New things have come. God wants to do the real thing in our heart. And Jesus gives us a very clear picture of it. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your words that are so challenging to us and feeding our, our hearts today. 
Lord, I pray that as your people, we would fall in love with the real thing, not the imitation. That, Lord, as we follow you and we go through this life, we would do it with such joy and gladness. Lord, as we serve our family together, as we serve this community together, as we serve you, as we worship you, as we give and fast and pray, and we walk out this journey of being your follower, I pray that, Lord, our hearts would be aligned with you, that our motivations would be pure, that our our hearts would be right with you and for you and, and before you, God. Lord, we love you so much. And I thank you, Lord, that you're working this out in and through us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, real quick, bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here today, we're going we're gonna to go eat some cupcakes in a minute, but I want to make an opportunity for anybody that's here today that does not have a relationship with Jesus. What a perfect day on Joy Church's sixth birthday for you to have your spiritual birthday and come into the family of God. You know, the scripture is very clear that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus makes an invitation to all of us to come and follow him. He says, repent and follow me. It means to turn around, you're going a certain direction. You turn around and you start to follow Jesus. And he's going to teach you how to be his follower. He's going to teach you how to live. And he's going to give you the grace inside of you to transform you so you can do it. And if that's you today and you say, Pastor Jake, I want to follow Jesus. I want to receive life from him. I want to receive forgiveness from him. Would you just raise your hand here today so I can see? And we're going to pray with you. And I'm not going to single you out or anything like that. But I just want to see if that's you and you want to take that step of faith today. Would you raise your hand so I can see? Anybody here today? Anybody here today? Awesome. And if you're online joining us, I know a lot of people message us online and say, hey, I prayed that prayer. You can pray this prayer with us today and we're going to give you some steps in order to take to follow Jesus the rest of your life. All right, let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've fallen short of your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with you. I give you my life and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate that today.